It's Wednesday, December the 23rd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Sponsored by Raytheon Technologies. Coming up, Trump rejects stimulus package and Israel heads for yet another election. First, the world in brief. President Donald Trump called Congress's COVID-19 stimulus plan a disgrace and refused to sign it into law. The hard-won bipartisan deal includes payments of up to $600 for individuals and a $300 top-up of unemployment benefits for 11 weeks. It was contained in a 5,600-page bill with a $1.4 trillion package to fund the federal government until September. The president wants payments increased to $2,000 to $4,000 per couple. That might please Democrats, who had been pushing for more generous handouts all along. Mr Trump, a hotelier, also demanded big tax breaks for corporate lunches and for payments to foreign countries to be ditched. Mr Trump pardoned four privately contracted security guards who were convicted for the massacre of 14 civilians in Iraq in 2007. The men who worked for Blackwater had been part of a convoy that fired machine guns and grenades into an unarmed crowd. The incident caused international outrage. George Papadopoulos and Alex van der Zwaan were given presidential clemency too. Both had pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI over the Trump campaign's meetings with Kremlin-connected Russians in 2016. Chris Collins and Duncan Hunter, two Trump-supporting former lawmakers convicted for financial crimes, were also pardoned. Israel is facing its fourth election in two years. Having failed to pass a budget by midnight on Tuesday, the parliament was automatically dissolved, triggering a poll on March the 23rd. Benjamin Netanyahu, leader of the right-wing Likud party, had been due to cede the prime ministership to his centrist coalition partner, Benny Gantz, in October. Mr Netanyahu faces challenges from the right as well as from Mr Gantz. France will today open its borders to EU citizens and French residents travelling from Britain, provided they have tested negative for COVID-19 in the previous 72 hours. More than 50 countries have halted arrivals from Britain, fearing the spread of the new variant of the coronavirus. Some 2,800 lorries are in Kent, in south-east England, awaiting entry to France. Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, signed legislation that allows former presidents to become senators for life once they leave office. Mr Putin changed the constitution this year to permit himself two more six-year terms, potentially keeping him in power until 2036. Meanwhile, the Kremlin banned more European officials from Russia in response to sanctions imposed over the poisoning of Alexei Navalny, an opposition leader. And the coronavirus reached Antarctica. The Chilean army reported 36 cases of COVID-19 at its General Bernardo O'Higgins Riquelme Research Centre. All of those infected were evacuated. The news came days after three crewmates on a ship delivering supplies to the station tested positive for the virus. COVID-19 has now been recorded on all seven continents. 
And now, here's today's agenda. Arctic meltdown, the Greenland ice sheet. This week, Espresso is publishing its year-in-review editions. Today, science and technology. Annual snowfall can no longer replenish the melted ice that flows into the ocean from Greenland's glaciers, according to analysis of satellite data by researchers at Ohio State University. The ice loss, they think, is so great that it has triggered an irreversible feedback loop. This is bad news for coastal cities. The loss of the entire ice sheet would raise sea levels by more than 7 metres. Greenland's ice used to maintain a rough equilibrium. Each year the sheet lost a similar amount of ice in the summer, both by ice and snow melting on the surface and by glaciers losing chunks as they push out into the sea, as was replaced by fresh snow in the winter. But after 2000, the ice sheet began losing mass permanently. Changes in the region indicate the progression and impacts of climate change. The decline of the Greenland ice sheet is a harbinger of things to come. Garbage in. Dodgy academic journals. Most scholars who share working papers are striving to make vital discoveries. However, some authors seek to pad thin resumes by publishing underwhelming, repetitive or fake research. This mostly appears in predatory journals, which make use of the popular open access model. Charging fees to authors rather than to readers to publish any old tosh for money. Cabells uses criteria such as missing back issues to spot frauds. Poor spelling or offers of speedy publication prompt further investigation. The average predatory journal publishes less than half the output of a reliable title, according to Bo Christa Bjork of Helsinki's Hanken School of Economics. And 60% of papers in such journals receive no future citations against 10% of those incredible ones. That still leaves 250,000 questionable articles per year that do get cited. Dawn of an Era – The Human Genome Project On June the 26, 2000, those running the Public Human Genome Project and its private sector shadow, a firm called Celera Genomics, simultaneously published a working draft of the genome. The announcement marked a beginning rather than an end. Genomics is now so embedded in biology that it is hard to recall what things were like before it. Those first human sequences cost billions of dollars to obtain. Today, with the advent of new technologies, a full sequence costs about $200, and less detailed versions are cheaper still. Researchers with a hypothesis to test can, for instance, turn to biobanks containing details of tens or hundreds of thousands of people, their medical records, education, employment, and, crucially, data about their genomes. Private companies will also sequence genomes to varying standards for a suitable price. Probably more than one million human genomes have been sequenced by one method or another. Weighty Matters 
Overweight Politicians In the southern English town of High Wycombe, the MP, Mayor and Councillors are publicly weighed every year to deter them from gaining weight at taxpayers' expense. The centuries-old tradition is conducted largely in jest, but the townsfolk may be onto something. A recent study of 15 post-Soviet states used an algorithm to analyse photographs of almost 300 cabinet ministers and estimate their body mass index, a gauge of obesity. The author found that the median BMI of a country's cabinet is highly correlated with its level of corruption, based on indices by the World Bank and Transparency International. The Baltic states and Georgia were the least corrupt and boasted the slimmest cabinets. Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan, among the worst for corruption, had the chubbiest. Obese politicians aren't necessarily more dishonest than slimmer ones, but they would be wise to slim down. Studies show voters are less likely to plump for candidates who are, well, plump. Male Ego – Self-Promotion in Research Papers A recent study in the BMJ, a medical research journal, suggests men are more likely to promote themselves than women are. By examining the language of the titles and abstracts of more than 100,000 clinical research articles, researchers separated those in which both the first and last name authors were women from those in which one or both were men. The first is often a more junior researcher who led the work, while the last is usually a senior scholar who guided it. They found articles with either a first or a last male author were likelier to describe their work in positive terms. Novel was the most common self-applied positive term, and those papers with a male first or last author used the word 59.2% more than women-women papers did. Promising was even more skewed. The researchers further found that self-promotion can help careers, being associated with a greater number of subsequent citations. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Madam C.J. Walker, who was born on this day in 1867. America doesn't respect anything but money. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.